Welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft. I'm Hannah. And I'm Tyler. We're here to learn more about the lives of authors that have inspired us, a journey into the stories they not only created, but also lived. So join us as we dive deep into the worlds that live just out of reach. Welcome, ghoul gang, to another episode of Between Lewis and Lovecraft. Huh? Is I that mean, good? The, our, our established fans will really enjoy that. Hell yeah, they will. Ghoul gang, for the win. <laughs> I, I'm going to definitely work on shirts. You know what? I'm definitely going to work on shirts. So just uh, just know that that's going to happen at some point. Welcome. I love that we're so like disorganized that we can't even get our episodes out on a schedule, but damn, are we going to get some ghoul gang shirts. Damn, if we're not going to have some cool (laughs) ghoul gang shit for you. Welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft, where we talk about authors and things and people and stories and shit. Um, And mostly we make fun of them and talk about how their lives are wasted and uh, they're terrible, (laughs) terrible people. And really, it's because for some reason, for the past year, we've been stuck right in the middle of the 20th century. And it seems like everyone from this era is the worst. I mean, I think everyone from every era is the worst. So, you know. uh, And so picking that up where we left off um, with Elron Hubbard. The official worst. God, this guy is awful. So I think where we left off last time, he was like, you know, going back to Los Angeles or something. When he'd previous left, he was a penniless nobody who was like faking illnesses to get more VA money. Yeah. Um, and when he comes back, this is after he's released his first Dianetics book. And he gets to the airport in L.A. and it's like packed with fans who are like waiting to see L. Ron Hubbard. So now he's coming back a celebrity. Right. Uh, he is he is taken on the world by storm. He 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 is basically presented a new form of science. Um, and it's it's right up there with psychology, psychiatry, um, theology, but this is Scientology. So it's yeah. like legit science. Yeah. Um, and, and and he makes a lot of claims with Dianetics, like a lot, uh, which is. I mean, if we've learned anything about L. Ron Hubbard, it is that he he only tells the truth, right? He's yeah. not going to say something that's not true. He's never lied about, like, little things like his birthday or, you know, sinking <laughs> Being... a Japanese submarine. Two of them. Sinking two, two of, of them. Two of them. Hannah, he's not just going to sink one Japanese no. <laughs> submarine off the Oregon coast. Okay. Anyone can sink just one Japanese submarine <laughs> that doesn't exist, but it takes a real hero to sink two. Yeah. I remember sinking my first one Japanese submarine. If I had had <laughs> two, my life would be different. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah. yeah. So, Youngest Boy Scout ever, right? And, Youngest uh, Boy and Scout he's ever. Coming, he's coming for psychology, and he's, he's going to help you get rid of the the past trauma that now ails you without you even knowing it yeah and, by somehow and, hacking your brain and making you relive your birth right that's important for everybody i 
definitely want to go back to that. I'm really glad that I can't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that would be more traumatizing than anything to, else to actually, that he's, like, trying to cure. Yeah, to actually really... <laughs> Could you imagine if it worked and you're just... He's like, all right, now go back to that moment. And you're like, okay, all right, I'm going back. Uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can see it all! Oh, Ron, why would you do this? Oh! <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's that's my take on Dianetics. <laughs> that was just like such an accurate depiction that I I don't even know where to go from here. Uh, all right, so enough enough of me just making fun of a man who's trying to make a million dollars. Let's talk about his life, and why he's, why and how he's doing it. So when he um, gets back to Los Angeles, he starts having um, like events and stuff to promote Dianetics, um, like. I think a lot of the organizers, the people he was booking it through, didn't think it was going to be that big a deal, but they were all packed. Um, So he was like doing all sorts. He would, um, at one of the first events, he brought like the world's first clear on stage and people were like asking her questions and stuff. That was the big deal. Um, He would have ones where like he would bring people on stage and like try to audit them in real time and stuff like that. So yeah. these were kind of like sensational events um, and wildly popular with fans of his books. Uh, let's and I when listening to the um, when listening to this biography, I was thinking about I don't know if you remember the movie the um, the Illusionist with Edward I don't think Norton. I never saw that. It came out the same time as the Prestige, and I you know it, it's not the same movie. It's it's definitely worth watching on its own. But there's a whole part where he just gets on stage and he, like, creates these illusions and, like, people think he's, like, summoning ghosts and shit. And it just reminded me of the same sort of situation as that. Like, it's like he was reaching back to this point of spiritualism that the American and English people had almost just left. You know, there's that that uh, Henry Houdini was was really big for, like, trying to... Uh, debunk a lot of stuff the uh, fox sisters were a big thing these people who would like get up on stage and they would they're mediums and they would be like you know is there someone someone have is there anybody in the audience who has uh, the letter j in their name the, the letter j is coming to mind and you know james is like yeah oh yeah my name has j and they're like uh james uh do you have a brother sister mother or father it's like, oh, oh, yeah, I do. I have a mother and a father. It's like, okay, okay. I'm getting spiritual forces talking, you know, and it's like, it's that. And it's all, like literally what he did with presenting the clear, the first clear was this girl who should not have gone on stage and he used as a, as a ploy to just sell more books. Like this is exactly what he's doing. He's just a showman and he's good at, at parading things in front of people and trying to like do that tarot card reading situation yeah and if i recall correctly like she didn't do that well so he kind of like cut it short yeah they like they they pushed her off stage real fast when like they're like tell us about this and this and this and she's like oh i can't remember (laughs) and it's like that's literally the whole point of this (laughs) yeah nobody thought it was weird that she just kind of got rushed off stage after that yeah for sure but yeah so I mean, Dianetics is really taking off now. Um, 
you know, the, the book is a bestseller, even though its first run didn't have that many copies printed. Because, again, the publisher was like, who the fuck is going to read this? But it turns out everybody. Yeah. Um, so this gives Elrond uh, the perfect opportunity to start an affair. Oh, Another yeah, one. Yeah. With a 20-year-old uh, woman who was hired to help with PR for Dianetics. He's like, and- he's like 40-something now, right? Yeah, so this is like the 50s, right? So, yeah, he's way too old to be banging a 20-year-old. Um, <laughs> hey, I, that's not fair. Some some guys just, you know, they just know how to get it, Anna. It's all right. Okay, sorry. He's way too married to be banging a 20-year-old. <laughs> I like how for once I'm okay with being like, no, it's fine. It's cool. Yeah, I didn't uh, expect right. this to be the Tyler defends L. Ron Hubbard episode. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it's definitely not going to be that. I just, you know, I try to be equal where I can be. <laughs> Old guys and can get it. It's fine. <laughs> so I'm totally spacing her name. I think it was Barbara or something. Um, Bar- Bar- but yeah. she, she was kind of funny because like she told one of her friends at some point, she was like, don't let me like get too involved with this guy because mm-hmm. I think there's something wrong with him, but I just can't help myself when I, when he's around. Yeah, she said she specifically said to her friend, "If I come home one night and tell you that uh, that Hubbard has proposed to me, tie me down because I'm afraid I'll marry him." Yeah, like that's her quote. Like, isn't that insane? Um, and uh, again, this is a just a quick reminder for our listeners. Um, he is married to a woman that he cheated on his first wife with. When and he like went, got bigamously, bigamously married to. Yeah, while he when he married. went to uh, Jack Parsons' um, house of horror and whores uh, situation. <laughs> you like that? That was a good one, right? That was clever. Um, and all right, it worked. I just got to make that note. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he he met her there, and Jack Parsons his at that time best friend kind of or at least jack parsons thought of hubbard as his best friend Poor jack. hubbard stole this girl from him and was banging him or her and then like helped jack parsons summon an elemental so that he could bang someone and then he took this girl and married her uh and then they went off to go do their thing and now he's cheating on her with a 20 year old so yep. Just a quick refresher on the love life of Hubbard. And then, like, at some point, he proposes the great idea of going on, like, a double date with oh, his this wife. Was, this is his... the best. I love this so much. <laughs> so he wants to go on, like, a double date with his wife and his mistress. And he gets, like, some other dude to go as Barb's date. Yeah, and the then... mistress brings a guy because yeah. it's a double date. Yeah. And they don't want it to be weird. But then, like... Yeah. It goes all wrong, and somehow Sarah, his wife, starts hooking up with Barb's date. Yes. Yeah, we're going to call... I don't remember his name. His name's like George or whatever. That's what we're going to call him. I can't remember his name either, but, um, I mean, spoiler alert, it works out with him and Sarah, and they, like, get married later on and live happily ever after. Well, they deal with some stuff with Hubbard, but yeah, totally. yeah. Once Uh, Hubbard's out of the picture. It's... it's insane it's like it's like set up for like a movie situation i'm pretty sure there's a movie um with like uh clive owen jude law uh 
and Julia Roberts and uh, what's her name? Uh, the girl from Padme from Star Wars. What the frick is her name? Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman. It was the four of them. And they have almost the same dynamic in this movie. It's kind of crazy. I think uh, in the last episode, we also stumbled on a scene that we were like, this needs to get turned into a comedy or something. Something. Yeah, it's so crazy. Um, I know I, I know you just did your correspondence with Brianna, and she said that she wanted to call dibs and or work with you on the, uh, the rom-com of Aleister Crowley. Uh, oh, his, yes. His love life. Yes, please. So, so you two will have to have a, a follow-up to the L. Ron Hubbard love story, where there's this love circle or love square situation going on. Maybe that will be my thing as an author. Like, I don't write any fully original stuff. I just write retellings or like reimaginations of different authors' like super dramatic lives. That would be so funny. Like, I I love the idea of you guys doing rom coms of people's lives. <laughs> that are like kind of depressing and and slightly uh destitute and all that but it's <laughs> hilarious watch out hallmark we're coming for you yeah <laughs> so yeah so his relationship is just a shit show all over the place right now yeah um and he starts to like have a falling out with sarah um and this is the 50s so the red scare is in like full effect so oh, yeah. he start he like reports her new lover as a communist to the government or something yeah he um, has he has a, a an in almost with the fbi he's constantly writing letters to j edgar hoover yeah and at first like they're into it and he actually got a letter back from j edgar hoover like thanking him for his patriotism and yeah like service to the government um eventually the fbi will like catch wind that he's kind of a crackpot <laughs> insane uh, yeah, but I mean, this could have been like really bad back then because people were going to jail for this stuff. Um, sure. So you shouldn't just, um, you know, report your wife who you're cheating on's uh, new lover as a communist willy yeah. nilly. I mean, we're we're going back to Red Scare. There's we can go back to the the witch hunts. Uh, there's always a, a period where people use power against other people to persuade political thought and then and then use it in a personal experience uh i think i i think i attested this before but i think that we're in kind of the same area not that i th think it's wrong all the time but i think that it's very easily done in in today's society with a lot of the cancel culture that comes out and like it's like you you could go you, because there's so much information you can you can scrape somebody's profile and find some terrible thing about them and then and then they're ruined and that's terrifying right so like now instead of doing like reporting them to the fbi you just report them to twitter and right and, and it's and it's the the cultural social justice thing and um you know i'm, I'm not here to to have the debate of whether cancel culture is is too much or not enough or what i'm just saying it's it's a thing and I think that we're looking at the same ramifications as we were 50, 70 years ago that he was using against people. So it's just interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting to me is that one time he, um, you know, <laughs> kidnapped his daughter and wife, too. Oh, wasn't that so scary? <laughs> so, I was legit like the whole autobiography. I'm like, whatever, this guy's insane. But that part, I'm like, this is this is a Hallmark movie right here. <laughs> 
I don't know if Hallmark so much as like a horror movie. Cause oxygen. It's an oxygen movie. Yes, oxygen. They make the really dramatic ones. Yeah. yeah so this this nut job has his minions help him kidnap his daughter Alexis. They give her to like some babysitting organization, uh, and tell them that her mom is like seriously ill. And won't be able to take care of her for a while. And then he and his minions go back and kidnap Sarah. And they drive her all around all night uh, trying to find a doctor who will declare her insane. So then he can have her committed. Yeah. Like, what? Like Charles motherfucking Dickens. (laughs) Yes. That's some 18th century or 1800s bullshit is what he's trying to pull off. That we're still trying to do in the 1950s. But, like, luckily, uh, they couldn't find a doctor who would do that. Uh, Hopefully that means all of the doctors back then were like, yo, this is bullshit. We're not signing this. Yeah. Um, So he, like, signed a note to Sarah saying that she could have Alexis back once she got a house for them to live in. And Sarah signed one saying that she'd gone with Hubbard and his accomplice of her free will. So, basically, she's not going to get him in trouble for kidnapping her. Yeah. Um. So he and his accomplice, like, tell her where Alexis is, but it's a lie. So Hubbard goes back, gets his kid, and takes off. And then Sarah tries to report him for kidnapping, but the police decided it was just a domestic dispute. Yep. So her her kid is missing, and the police are like, ah, nah, you're just being a crazy woman. Right, yeah, which, I mean, if we, if we look at this era and even the next 20 years afterwards, uh, the police don't have a great rap for taking care of people who are not white male cis you know like straight people like <laughs> right they it's constantly like there's the the famous story of um is it Jeffrey Dahmer or someone who like they're they have one of the men that they've taken in he's taken in this man and he's trying to kill him but then the man gets away and runs out and is like, "Hey, this guy's trying to kill me. This guy's trying to kill me." And then, the, and then the guy comes. And then Jeffrey Dahmer, I'm pretty sure, is who it is. He comes out and he's like, "Sorry, it's, it's a lover's spat. We're having a little bit of a, you know, a lover's spat." And then, <gasps> oh, and then they're like, "They're like, ew, this is gross. We don't want to deal with gay people. Get the fuck away from us." And so, like, Jeffrey Dahmer, like pulls this guy right back into his house and murders him. And the cops were right there. Yeah, I remember that. I think I saw a documentary on it or something. And it was like a teenage boy, too. Yeah, yeah, that exactly. That was fucked up, man. Uh, and I mean, this is this is the same shit. Like, this is when, when women are talking about trying to have power and, and have equality. It's like, that's exactly what they're talking about. It, it, sorry for... I'm not explaining it to you, Hannah, because you're a woman and I'm not trying to explain, <laughs> mansplain it to you. I'm explaining it to listeners who maybe don't understand fully, right? Uh, it's like, there is that that inability to be taken seriously or or to have even just due process done for them just because there's a there's a stigma about it right i don't know i'm i'm a white straight male explaining feminism (laughs) to a woman i don't know what i'm doing anymore i just i I I didn't know that much about the 50s. I assumed that you couldn't just steal your kid and take it to a babysitting building. Apparently you can. Apparently you can get away with it. Or you could. Um, So Hubbard and his, like, right-hand man or whatever then take the baby to Tampa and fly to Cuba. Right. Another country now. They've, like, 
gone international. Um, and so his right-hand dude, whose uh, last name is DeMille, he's basically taking care of Alexis the whole time they're in Cuba. And he uh, is someone who's, like, entranced by Hubbard. Like, yeah. this is, he's not like, ooh, yeah, let's go. <laughs> let's go fucking steal your daughter, dude. This is great. Like, no, he's like, my lord has told me we must take this girl, and I shall do so under all conditions. Like, that is, that's this dude's mentality. Uh, and he, he talks about it later in, in his own books. And I think he starts to get, like, a little disenchanted when they're in Cuba for so long. Yeah. Possibly because he doesn't like taking care of a baby all the time. Sure. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, that's just insane. They eventually give Alexis back to Sarah. This is in 1951, I think, when uh, only under the condition that Sarah then signed a statement retracting all of her allegations against Hubbard. Because, like, while her baby was missing, she went to the news and everything. Yeah. And I think um, Hubbard's ex-wife even, yeah. like, wrote a letter in support of her. Yeah, she, the, his first wife um, was, like, very supportive of her uh, but also is like, look, you need to get out of that relationship as much and as quick as you can. He's an insane person. Whatever you have to do, get your daughter back and cut ties. And and that's what she did. Like, that was her whole process of like, I just want my daughter back. You can have whatever you want. Just give me my daughter back and we're done. And and that's what happened. That's what happened. So he was a, a single man yet again. Um, and in the meantime, like, uh, the Dianetics Foundation was going through a lot of shit, too. Um, John Campbell, uh, so the yeah. publisher of Astounding, who was big in the science fiction community, he resigned from the foundation uh, because he was sick of all of Hubbard's bullshit. He, he thought he was impossible to work with and was responsible for all the bad finances that the foundation was dealing with. Yeah. Um, and then a Dianetics follower named Don Purcell, who was a millionaire and had been pouring tons and tons of money into building a brand new research for the foundation in Kansas. He and Hubbard um, were butting heads a lot. Uh, and that kind of led to the demise of that organization too. It ultimately lost a lot of money because it had to cover the debts of other unsuccessful Dianetics foundations. So yeah. Don Purcell really got screwed over. And I, think I mean, he, ev everybody who touched everyone, Hubbard got screwed over. Let's yeah, not, like, let's not beat around the bush there. If you had money and you're a friend of Hubbard, you didn't have money anymore. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, that's basically how it went. So, like, Purcell uh, tried to get some of his money back. And, like, Hubbard was somehow, like, very ruthless in court. I don't know how he made things go his way legally so much. But eventually Purcell, like, just took a fraction of what he was owed and then gave up. I think that people don't give enough credit to the power of persuasion uh, and charisma and bullshitting uh, that that people can really pull off. Um, Here's the thing, though. I listened to a couple recordings of Hubbard on the Scientology website. Yeah. He doesn't sound good when he talks. I mean, maybe I'm the minority, but listening to him, I'm like, this is the dude who snowed all of these people and, like, got them to join his little cult. Like... I'd he have to not. go and listen. I, I, I honestly, I think I've only ever heard maybe a couple of, of recordings from documentaries I've watched. Um, mm -hmm. And I can hear different things. I can hear him being, uh, you know, very passive and in that quiet old man sort of thing that he yeah, does. Yeah, that's what he reminded me of, like an old man who's telling stories or something. 
And I think there was a time and place for everything for him. He knew how to use his voice and his, you know, appearance and and everything in order to get what he wanted. I think he knew exactly what to do. His appearance is confusing, though. Like, no offense, but he's not a good-looking man. How is he getting all of these, like, very young women to fall for him when he, from my perspective, isn't that charismatic either? Like, I'm just so confused. I maybe it's something that's different when you meet him and maybe it's the situation. Maybe you're the fact that you're 50 years removed, 70 years almost removed, like really can help you go. Oh, uh, no, I'm good. Maybe I think like <laughs> later on in his life, too, um, there were some people like women, especially who joined up late in Scientology and they were like expecting him to be this like really strong, stoic, like impressive looking man or whatever and then they got there and they're like he's kind of like old and decrepit or whatever (laughs) yeah as they generally are as they generally are um but you know back in the 50s i guess he he still had it going for him um he met his next bride 18 year old mary sue yeah good old mary sue and her uterus of tennis ball (laughs) shooting abilities yeah so (laughs) they moved to phoenix arizona um and they would have four kids in like pretty quick succession um they had diana quentin suzette and arthur she had a a plentiful uterus this is this is i mean he's got what like seven children now (laughs) i think that brings it up to six but yeah close no that is seven alexis yeah yeah i forgot about her just like he did oh no oh that's mean uh but true so fucking true (laughs) so mary sue like i wasn't really sure how to feel about her because at first i'm like oh that poor girl like she's just a baby and she's married to this horrible man but she like kind of embraced the power that she had as his wife and turned into like a little cersei lannister (laughs) yeah all right (laughs) so she was like she was pretty influential in the the um dianetics It, it was still dianetics when they got married um but at the time hubbard was like taking those ideas and spinning them into a larger spiritual frame aka religion because, yeah. you know, what do you do if you want to be a millionaire, Tyler? Uh, you start a religion. Yep. So Everybody ne- knows that. That's why the ghoul, gang, that. the ghoul gang will be a religion soon. <laughs> and at least we're transparent. We call it a gang. He didn't call it the cult of Scientology. He called it the church of Scientology. We are, we are 100% uh, tax-free. Um, we're ready to um, do stuff for people. Um the Just church stuff. it'll go gang for life <laughs> l-y-f-e life l-y-f-e yeah life. so in 1954 is when he officially launches the church um and it brings in tons of money um because like primarily they're doing sessions with auditors Yep. Um, and one session could cost a couple hundred dollars, but people can't just have one session. You don't just go see an auditor and then you're clear, even though no, I feel no. like in this made up science, that should be a it thing. It should be. The way he describes it, it should be one and done. But no, no it's hot. so weird how it t- tends to be exactly like psychology. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, that was a hard stare. <laughs> 
<laughs> Only the people watching the video will get the full yeah, impact. Yeah, the, the audio listeners are going to be like, the fuck was that silence for? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So the closer you get to being a clear, the more money you have to spend. It's a total pyramid scheme. Yeah. Uh, is it? I guess. Because you, cause you go. Because you bring in your friends too. Yeah, and- you go in to get clear and then you go, man, I want to, I want to become an auditor. And then the auditing, then you buy into being an auditor and then you bring people into clear. And the more that people you bring in, the more money you make, but it doesn't go to you. It goes straight to the church. You don't make any money. Is that really a <laughs> we pyramid don't, we scheme? We don't talk about that part. <laughs> yeah. It's not really a pyramid scheme as much as, um, building a temple on top of the dead bodies that used that you use to build it is what it is. That took a real dark turn and I am <laughs> all over it. So um, around the same time, the FBI has like fully adopted a less favorable view of Hubbard. Um, they've been monitoring him and uh, also disregarding more letters he's sent accusing more people of being communists because mm-hmm. he developed a reputation there for being a loony. So basically, like, they'd get a letter <laughs> from him, show it around the office, laugh, and then, like, throw it in the trash. And that's, like, like an official thing, too. Like, they were, like, loot. Like, they actually use the word loony and stuff for, for him, right? Yeah. So yeah. at least, like people aren't in danger of being arrested for being communists anymore from Hubbard. Like the FBI is not taking him seriously. Um, But they do want to know what the heck is going on with the, the church of Scientology. So I think I might have the dates wrong on this first one because they raided the, the DC offices a couple times. Mm -hmm. The first time um, was kind of like sketchy justification that they used, but uh, what they offered up was that the Church of Scientology used false and misleading labels on its e-meters. So right. c- can you kind of describe what the e-meters were? Yeah, and this is starting to get to the edge of my knowledge on a lot of st- on the history of stuff. So just so you're aware, this is where I, I haven't been able to keep up with the audiobook. But e-meters basically um, your uh, – fuck what's it called i i need to make sure i get this right because it's an it's a it's important to me that you know this the enneagrams and enneagrams right that's what it yeah. is um enneagrams are basically um they're wow that's weird it's enneagram and i've taken the enneagram and been like oh yeah i totally love my enneagram yeah, uh, I I was wondering if there was like the connection there because I see a lot of people post about enneagrams and I'm like, wait, is this some Scientology bullshit? Yeah, I'm gonna be real. I'm gonna uh, no engrams is Scientology. Enneagram is its own thing. Engrams. It sounds suspiciously close, so I'm just not gonna do it. It does sound suspiciously close. I'm gonna look further into this. Don't worry, guys. Boop 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 boop. I'll figure this out. Oh, uh, meter stands for electropsychometer. Oh, is that it doesn't have anything to do with the engram? No, I don't think so. Okay. I know that it's basically two two things you hold on to two things and then their meters adjust as they're going through the process of, you know, like clearing you and then they their their little thing moves back and forth and they look at it and it it's like nothing is what it is. It's basically the equivalent of nothing. But this is something that if you look it up, like the Scientology website still has an active like page about the e-meter. So I think they 
60 plus years later are still not convinced that it's nothing. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that they're like, no, it works off of your electromagnetic pulses and your magnetic waves and allows you to, you know, freely open up your full self and uh, and you can travel back in time. It's like, yeah, all right. right. So, yeah. yeah so basically yeah. the the FBI is like uh, these e-meters are false and misleading. So we're going to raid your offices. Um, the, the church used the raid to its advantage and painted itself as a victim of government persecution. Uh, but the feds also discovered how much money Elrond had been making off the church. He was taking millions out of the coffers of an organization that was tax exempt. So they lost their tax exempt status less than a decade after being granted it in the first place. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Sucks to suck. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. So after this, Hubbard creates a new office in the church to deal with negative publicity, um, but it's still going to take another 30 years to get the religious tax-exempt status back. Um, and as governments around the globe continue to attack the church, because, like, it's not just in the U.S. He's established it in other places, too. Like, England is a big one. Uh, I think Australia, Australia, too. Australia is huge for them. Yeah. They're, they deal with it a lot over there. Yeah. So uh, Hubbard starts to think of a solution uh, for keeping the governments away from him, basically. So yeah, a takes... solution for people calling you on your shit. Well, we can't have that, Tyler. No, we can't. You're right. You, you know what happened to the first guy who called him on his shit and said he would have been 80 years old if he did everything he, lost he claimed his, to? He lost his shit on that guy. How dare <laughs> yep. you do math in front of me, sir? So Hubbard's solution to all of this is to take Scientology to the open seas. And he starts Sea Org. Yeah, Which they is, they do org for organization, like a lot. Yeah, they like yeah. Uh, shortening things. Yeah, so it's it Scientology, cool. but on a couple ships that he gets. Um, for Scientologists to be allowed into Sea Org, they had to sign a contract saying they'd be loyal to the church for how long, Tyler? Ten billion years. I don't know okay. if it's that much. Only it's one billion. Like, oh, one bi- Yeah, only one billion years. Which is just like, <laughs> you know, I've signed some bad contracts in my life, but hmm. they were hmm. all three years. <laughs> I signed a non-compete uh, one time that was supposed to last for a year. And uh, after I was let go and that non-compete like activated for the year, I immediately broke it and was like, <laughs> nah, I'm going to go ahead and do what I want to do. Uh, so, uh <laughs> <laughs> hopefully the scientologists realize that you know this is not an enforceable billion year contract but you know well they think it, it is they're gonna send your engrams to hell or something yeah. so sea org uh basically sucks uh you spend <laughs> long hours taking care of the ship the food is awful uh he gives his oldest daughter with mary sue diana uh a position of power over the crew and everyone hates her because she's such a little tyrant. Um, <laughs> she just, like, the power rushes to her head. And this should be said, like, none of his kids have gone to traditional school. Um, so, like, Diana especially, they kind of made fun of her behind her back because she, um, oh, God, there's a term for it. But she was famous for, like, saying common phrases the wrong way. You mm. know, like how sometimes people say it's a mute point instead of yeah. a moot point? She would do stuff like that. And so, like, behind her back, the crew mocked her, basically. Um, Supposedly. Just, yeah. 
Exactly. She just wasn't very smart because her dad's a crazy person and never sent his kids to school. Yeah. Um, uh. It's crazy. As much as I'm not a fan of public schools and the, the crazy stuff that they do, uh, it's also good for children to have an education. So Yeah, it's probably better than uh, whatever Elrond was teaching her at home. <laughs> yeah, probably. And his high school girlfriend uh, was well, probably not a great teacher either. Supposedly. <laughs> supposedly. Um, also on Sea Org, they would throw people overboard to cleanse them of their sins if they fucked up. I'm. Uh, they confiscated what? passengers' passports, kept them in locked safes yeah. to keep them from uh, blowing the org was the term they that used, sounds which is like kind of gross. Very sexual. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? I don't need my passport to do that. <laughs> gross. <laughs> um, but people would still manage to run away sometimes at port. But then the Scientologists would like immediately accuse them of being a thief or a troublemaker so that nobody would believe whatever they said about the church. I mean, this sounds like legit a nightmare. Um, <laughs> have you ever watched Bob's Burgers? Sounds like the episode of Bob's Burgers where he literally gets shanghaied and has to make burgers on a cruise ship. <laughs> Maybe it was inspired by this. Probably because because the, <laughs> the captain's insane. So makes sense. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. So it was just like kind of a miserable place to live and work for a billion years. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that was interesting that um, the author of Bareface Messiah noted was that like Hubbard always reiterated to his followers that Scientology was being pursued by dark forces, dark forces. trying to destroy anything that helped mankind. So he, yeah. like, instills everyone with this sense that they're constantly in danger and under attack and that their sacrifice is, like, necessary to protect the truth that is Scientology. But that's just, that is a constant thing in religion. Um, and It's a constant that... thing everywhere. Like, even now, you see it a lot of times where, like, people like to feel like they're in danger even if it's yeah. not like physical danger they'll turn little things into like i am being attacked like yeah it's it's, it's tribalism so right like it's uh we're we're a group of people and we're being attacked from the outside so we have to protect each other it's it's why right now a lot of our political alignments are very extreme you know and and we have that um like i was saying in, in religion it's a big thing with you know with christianity we've got the devil and demons and they're they're coming after you and if you do something wrong it's it's the devil's fault but it's also yours because you let the devil make you do that i don't know it, it gets kind of confusing sometimes <laughs> um and then you got like uh yeah you, you got um i'm just i'm thinking of so many like like hinduism you you have to like reincarnation if you don't do the right thing then you're going to come back differently and it's all about doing the right things in order to get the right uh next life like that's a constant thing to make you do the right thing and it's a it's a form of fear control that um when you look at it from you know from the outside it's it's super common for controlling any group of people so it's not surprising that he very quickly was like um do the right thing or else uh dark forces are gonna they're totally gonna get you you're you'll die and bad things will happen so and everything you do and the people you love will die 
Period. So, yeah. He um, Hubbard was also like pretty solid at using the law to harass people by now, yeah. and like he he would publicly write or speak to this. Like he, one of the quotes from the um, biography that we read was. The law can be used very easily to harass, and enough harassment on someone, somebody who is simply on the thin edge anyway, well knowing that he is not authorized, will generally be sufficient to cause his professional decease. Yeah. So he's, like, fully transparent that he is using the legal system to bully people. Yeah, absolutely. I, again, I think it's something that someone who's smart enough to have studied... Um, studied how to control people will pick up on very quickly and learn the patterns and the ability to do it i was talking to someone uh the other day about about hubbard and they asked you know they're like well how did you think the first episode went i was like oh i i I loved it because i just get to go to town on this insane person they're like do you do you think he was really like messed up and i was like i think i think that hubbard had the ability to be hitler legitimately Well, we're going to get to that a little later, too. Uh, And, like, I think that if he had had any of the support that Hitler did, it would have... Like, I mean, he did. He had, in a different way, he did. And and so they're like, well, but he didn't, you know, like... He didn't commit eugenics and, like, murder people. I think if he told Scientologists to kill people, they would have. Yeah. I Again, I think that he had fully the ability to... And if you're going to sit here and tell me that L. Ron Hubbard didn't believe that there was a better group of man that that would be alive, that could, you know, be the perfect man, that's bullshit. Like, I believe fully he believed that there was a perfect human being class and group of people out there. Possibly called clears. (laughs) Yeah. Whoever he clears is perfect. And whoever he doesn't is going to die so did you read about the messengers at all no like i said uh right about right about uh 1960 uh 1963 with the fbi stuff that's where i kind of i i didn't get to the part where he jumped where he had people jumping off the ships and and <laughs> okay well you are in for a treat then yeah, because from 1970 onward hubbard had a team of messengers who were almost exclusively young girls, like 12 to teenagers, uh, who worked six-hour shifts taking care of his every need, holding out ashtrays for his cigarettes, lighting them for him, washing his clothes, and even dressing and undressing him. No. Which sounds super creepy and is super creepy, but according to the messengers who later left the church, he never tried anything inappropriate with them. They actually thought he might have been impotent because he never slept with Mary Sue anymore either. Oh, wow. Okay. And they and they would have known because they were with him all the time. And this is where the Hitler thing comes in. Doreen Smith, one of the uh, youngest messengers, or I think the youngest, she said he once or she once asked him why he chose young girls as messengers. And he replied that he picked up the idea from Nazi Germany. He said Hitler was a madman, but nevertheless a genius. And the Nazi youth was one of the smartest ideas he ever had. With young people, you have a blank slate that you can write anything you wanted on it. Um, And that was his idea to take young people and mold them into little Hubbards. And he said he had girls because women were, were more loyal than men. Wow. So... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. 
Uh, there you go. Everything I just <laughs> said. <laughs> yeah, you were like, hit the nail on the head right there with that one. Yeah. Um, and like the Nazi youth, the messengers turned into little brats. They, like, basically picture a 13-year-old girl going up and screaming at, like, full-grown men and women on the ship for, like, committing some indiscretion. That they would just go around and yell at people who did something wrong. Um, and the more that they did for Hubbard, the more he came to think of them as the only people he could trust. So he was like getting pretty paranoid too. Sure. He yeah. placed his messengers above his own family. Yeah. Um, so one time, like Diana, his oldest daughter, upset him. He told one of the messengers to go spit in her face. What? And the messenger did it. And Mary Sue grabbed the girl around the throat and started screaming at her for spitting in her daughter's face. Sure. And then Hubbard got pissed at Mary Sue. Ah, uh, holy shit. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. He's just, like, completely losing his shit. The messengers have, like, all the power, basically. Yeah, uh, and, it, and and that's pretty common for somebody who's in that state of authority and, like, having to having to be the one that fixes everything for everybody and is in control of everything. Um, I feel like that's pretty common uh, for that paranoia to sit in like that, set in like that. Yeah. And maybe that's why Mary Sue and him aren't doing it anymore because he's treating her like shit like and just shit. hanging out with 13 year old girls all the time. I know that if a dude was treating me like shit and, had another a girl spit in my daughter's face i definitely would not sleep with him <laughs> standards yeah <laughs> that's just me uh, though. that's just my me personally that's where i stand but somehow like mary sue was still doing a lot to protect him um because in the early 1970s so nibs his oldest son from his first marriage yeah um he had been part of the church for a while but blew the org early on and became became an outspoken critic of um, the organization and even testified on behalf of the IRS when it looked into the church. Yeah. In 1972, Mary Sue organized a campaign to handle him, uh, which led to a search through all of the Sea Org files in the Guardian's office to dig up uh, any complaints about him. Yeah. The church never revealed what it found, apparently, uh, but a couple months later, Nibs recorded a video interview with a church official retracting his IRS testimony and all allegations he had previously made against his father. What? So I think they found some shit. Yeah. And that's that's the thing. If if we're going to give credit to uh, the Sea Org, to uh, Scientology, it's they are nothing if not efficient and... Um, complete with their files, records, and ability to find dirt. Like legit, Hannah, I'm I'm sorry, but I genuine <laughs> genuinely believe like if we piss them off enough, some shit's probably gonna come out from our back story, our oh. our you know, Twitters and shit from ten years ago. And we're For gonna get sure. hard. <laughs> I published a little uh, write-up of the whole Navy thing with Hubbard a week or two ago. And my my editor, he was like, okay, can you just, like, triple-check everything in this? Because I don't want the Scientologists to come after us. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're, and they'll go as far as lying, too. Like, they'll come up with shit as well that just sounds like, oh, yeah, no, they could, that could be. It's not even, like, it, it's not even, like, oh, there's... 
Okay, as an example, right? So they could be like, oh, Tyler worked for a church and, you know, he he messed up some kids there, you know, where, you know, it, it could be fucked up. They have no testimony. They have no proof, but they just say it. And just mm-hmm. having that out there, people will be like, yeah, I mean, like, we don't know that Tyler didn't. So there's so it kind of taints that person just a little bit, even if it's like we know that's probably not true. But what if it is sort of? Yeah. And uh, and so that's what they do. They go for that that benefit of the doubt, but on the wrong side of that benefit of like knowing that you can just just a tiny seed of doubt is all it takes to ruin somebody. Well, plus they've got like infinite finances, like the Travolta and Cruise money. So, I <laughs> mean, they Travolta can just money. <laughs> yeah, they can destroy you just by like racking up your legal fees trying to defend yourself. Like, I think they tried to do that to the author of um, this biography. This like, biography, yeah. they sued to keep his book from being published and sure. stuff like that. So they'll just like bleed you dry and hope that you give up, which most people do. Yeah, because. It, is it worth it to you? Like, it, they're not going to go away. What we're doing right here, all we're doing is talking about what this author wrote. It's not, you know, our shows, Scientologists aren't going to listen and be like, oh, man, this random esoteric <laughs> uh, podcast is, I mean, they're talking bad about us. Let's just pack up shop, guys. Let's <laughs> let's get rid of the multi-billion dollars that we've got going on here. And I guess we're done. Tyler and Hannah called us out. <laughs> They changed our minds. <laughs> so yeah, so uh and like you said, they're they are diligent, they are good at what they, they do when it comes to destroying people and planting seeds of doubt. Yeah. Uh and they're good at espionage and infiltration, it sounds like. So sure. in nineteen seventy three, the church's guardian's office starts a massive infiltration of governments around the world, mostly the United States, in what Hubbard called Operation Snow White. I'm not sure what the Snow White connection is there, but that's what he called it. Um, So Scientologists were to spy on and burglarize multiple federal offices, including the IRS and the Justice Department, to steal and destroy government documents about Scientology, which is very, very illegal. Yes, it is. I'm stuck on the Snow White thing. Operation Snow White. Is it could it be like a play on the Snow White and the Huntsman? How he's supposed to cut out Snow White's heart? I don't know. <laughs> Let the record show that Tyler is making like mimes of cutting out a heart and then it beating in your fist. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I feel like code names sometimes don't make sense, but maybe this one does. <laughs> All right. All right, Ron. What are we? Uh, what are we doing for this one? What are we calling this operation? Mm, I think we'll call this one uh, Operation Snow White. <laughs> Maybe it was his favorite Disney movie. Maybe, yeah. I mean, at this point, Snow White was out, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that was one of the early Disney movies, like the '50s or something. Yeah. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you were gonna do that. <laughs> I feel like that should be on a t-shirt, just my face. Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) Um, So this is all going on. Meanwhile, Hubbard has been at sea this whole time. He's um, 
been suffering a lot of health problems. And, like, his doctor on the ship, I guess, uh, was super weirded out because, like, he thought Hubbard was supposed to be able to heal himself. Like, that's a main tenet of Dianetics sure. and Scientology. Yeah, you're all good, man. You're basically Jesus. Yeah, so he didn't, like, the doctor prescribed pain uh, killers for, for Hubbard, but his, like, Scientology doctor threw them out or whatever because he was like, oh, he doesn't need these. And Hubbard lost his shit. He was like, give me the fucking pain pills. Oh, shit. Yeah, so his doctor was, like, getting a little skeptical, too. He's like, why can't he heal himself? Yeah. But, yeah, so his his health was not super good um, and living at sea sucked. And then in 1975, he suffered a minor stroke and ended up returning to life on land for good. Yeah. Uh, he and his family first settled in California, uh, where he kind of like faded from the public leadership role, but kept pulling strings, strings in the background. Mm. Um, so in 1976, they were living on a ranch in the California desert when Hubbard learned that Quentin had killed himself. And instead of having like a normal fucking reaction and being sad, he was pissed. He was like, that stupid idiot. Like, what has he done? Yeah. All sorts of crap. He treated Quentin very badly, like throughout most of their time at Sea Org because like he would always like put Quentin down and he Quentin like wanted to fly planes or something and he wouldn't let him do that and there were also like rumors that Quentin was gay which Hubbard did not like homosexuals and was very outspoken about that so yeah Quentin had it hard Um, yes all of the parallels I have no problem comparing him to Hitler at this point. I really don't. And yeah, I've watched documentaries about Quentin and uh, and the, the fact that he was gay and he joined Sea Org and then he was left in a, a room um, in in by himself and then he tried to run away and go to LA uh, and I, I believe, and I might be wrong on this, so I apologize if I am, but I believe that the place that he killed himself was the Cecil Hotel. Which is... Like, uh, his body was found in Las Vegas in a car. Las Vegas? Oh, I thought it was L.A. No. Uh, it was Las Vegas. Um, and the Las Vegas County Sheriff's Office found him. But they didn't know who he was at first. All right. Well, I take back that entire story. I, I thought I had read that or seen that somewhere on a documentary. Never mind. Uh, maybe maybe it was another False Hubbard uh, casualty. I, I think I think that what is a thing that maybe I'm just... Comparing, I maybe, I mean, there was probably more than one suicide within Sea Org uh, that was connected to uh, homosexuality and the inability to accept that, uh, especially with how incredibly uh, rigorous the rules are for Sea Org. Yeah, I mean, if they're going to throw you overboard for just like talking back or not doing your work fast enough, uh, I can't yeah, it's imagine it's... being a pirate is what that is. <laughs> They were a bunch of pirates. So Except not... then the people come back on ships. So it's like you're just getting baptized really violently. Oh, wait, they just, uh, they didn't leave them. They, they threw them off and pulled them back on. Yeah. There was like one dude who got thrown off so many times. He was just like fed up with it. That's crazy. <laughs> I would be thrown off immediately. <laughs> yeah. You could not keep your mouth shut. I, I'm sure. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so at first they didn't know who Quentin was. So it was actually a long time until Hubbard found out his son was dead. Um, but then like somehow 
a senior guardian's office agent like found out that Quentin might be there. I think it was someone who lived next to Quentin, mm. like told them. Um, so this dude goes and looks at the body and tells officials he's not sure if it's Quentin or not. And then like immediately goes and calls the guardian's office and is like, yeah, L. Ron Hubbard's son is dead. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they were like trying to keep it. Yeah, on the, on the DL, of course. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Mary Sue was distraught, like a reasonable parent would be, and Hubbard was pissed. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, we're we're getting toward the the end of uh, his his prime time in Scientology here. Uh, he establishes yet another org, Cine Org, uh, on oh, his right. ranch, the, uh, and sets up. Yeah, and this is the one that's all about propaganda and shit for the church, right? Yeah, he sets up a full film studio yeah. uh, and, like, writes scripts for promotional films for Scientology. Uh, he starts wearing a cowboy hat, too, because he thinks it makes him look cool like a director. Hell yeah, uh, brother. <laughs> but, yeah, so basically <laughs> they just make propaganda. He writes all the scripts. That, but he, like, is getting super testy at this phase of his life. Like, he lashes out all the time the actors botch their lines the lighting isn't right the sound's not right blah 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 he's just like a crotchety old man (laughs) uh and then operation snow white finally uh catches up to them and in july 1977 the fbi raids the offices of the church of scientology in dc and la confiscates nearly 50,000 documents that reveal the impressive depths of operation snow white and all the illegal shit they did yeah. In the middle of the night, a Dodge station wagon whisks Elron away from his ranch along with three of his messengers because he can't go anywhere without his no, creepy he's, little he's, yeah, he's preteen army. Girls. Yeah. Um, and then Hubbard stayed in hiding for the rest of the year. Hmm. He moved back in January 1978, immediately goes into like a behind closed doors meeting with Mary Sue, and she leaves the ranch. And the next day, he sends one of his messengers to L.A. to help her find a house. So... I don't know what went on behind those closed doors, but they're, like, not living together. Uh, yeah. He probably scared her into silence or something, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm i not sure what his motives were at that point. Um, I remember but in the I following took my, my one daughter from, from my ex-wife. Yeah, imagine me doing that three <laughs> more times. So, in the following months, the messengers would actually, like, censor letters that Mary Sue sent her husband to try to avoid upsetting him. Uh, because Mary Sue was realizing that she'd probably have to take the fall for Operation Snow White. Sure. Because she's um, the one that ordered it, right? I, I mean, it was Hubbard's idea, but she was, like, orchestrating a lot of it because yeah. she's Insane. she's his wife. <laughs> so in August of that year, a federal grand jury indicted nine Scientologists, including Mary Sue, but not L. Ron Hubbard. Now oh. he gets off scot-free. Uh, Mary Sue faced a maximum penalty of 175 years in prison. That's nuts and her husband just like does not give a shit uh he watches (laughs) what peace i'm out yeah yeah he's like your problem bitch yeah so maybe you shouldn't have orchestrated that huh (laughs) sounds like a bad idea right so like the whole time that like these scientologists are working through the legal system like he's complaining that mary sue was getting him into trouble yeah. uh, and claimed he never knew anything about the plot but everyone knew he was lying like within scientology sure. so he's just being an asshole 
Um, and he even sent an aide to like go see Mary Sue and suggest she consider a divorce. He's, I, I don't know why. This lovely woman who's done nothing but support him. Uh, she was upset by that, but still never betrayed her husband, never sold him out to the authorities. Uh, and in late 1979, about five years after Operation Snow White began, it officially came to an end with five of the Scientologists being sentenced to four years in jail. Um, Mary Sue got five years, and then like four or five more Scientologists got sentenced later to slightly lighter sentences. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Mary Sue served the full five years. I think she got out after one or something and then got five years of probation and community service. Sure. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I feel like she kind of, Hubbard sucks. He should have gone to jail, not his wife. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> there this are no good husbands me, uh, or fathers you, on this podcast. Have you seen the original Pink Panther movie? No. No? It's a, it's, it's a good movie, but it's a bad movie. Um, <laughs> Like, the whole premise, like, I know Pink Panther as, you know, I grew up watching Pink Panther cartoon, and they made the remakes and stuff, and it's about the, the one dude, John claude Van Damme, or whatever his name is, um, that goes around, so- that was a joke, that's not his real name. Um, I was like, that's a weird name, but I... <laughs> John claude Van Damme is a martial artist and a action movie guy. It's Anyway, I'm losing the audience. The point is, the movie ends with the this lady, his wife, the inspector's wife, sets him up uh, to go to jail for uh, she's been cheating on him with a thief. And then that thief's nephew also joins kind of this polyamorous trio. It's kind of weird. And then, but then the, the guy that the, that the wife is hooking up with, he's in love with a princess and then the three of them steal the diamond from the princess and then uh and then instead of them getting in trouble they set up the the inspector to be in trouble for it and then the princess is also in love with the thief and so she testifies against the inspector that was trying to get the thief who stole her diamond and so he goes to jail <laughs> i'm like Wow. What the fuck just happened? <laughs> I feel like that's probably what Mary Sue said. What the fuck just yeah, happened? I, I, I feel like it's a situation where it's just like all this stuff just, just lambasted against her and she's just she's just absolutely fucked. Especially when you're dealing with an entire organization of people that are tight lipped and they're not gonna blow C org. <laughs> oh my gosh. That needs to be on a t shirt too. Don't blow C org. <laughs> I can only imagine what kind of graphic is going to go on it. <laughs> it's going to be so, a ship. It's going to be a ship that looks like a whistle and then a pair mm, of lips that are about uh, to blow the whistle. Mm, yeah. Perfect. I'm sure we'll probably get sued for some sort of like copyright infringement or something. It'll be it'll be C org S E E. Mm. And then they they're not going to know. No, definitely not. (laughs) So, I mean, here ends yet another phase of Hubbard's life. His wife is in jail. He's an asshole. Uh, And in February 1980, Hubbard disappeared with two of the messengers and was never seen again. 
So they Wait, disappear. That's it? <laughs> he just disappears no. <laughs> and it's gone. I mean, now we kind of know what happened. So, but for six years, like he was off the radar. Like nobody, not even Scientologists, were hearing from him. Like people thought he was dead that whole time. Um, what Insane. really happened was like uh, I think it was like a girl and a boy messenger. They took him, and the girl and the boy like bought a million dollar ranch or something and near san luis obispo california which small world i worked there uh for like a year out of college beautiful area uh great place to live they they bought him this huge ranch uh using like fake names and they told the seller or whatever that like the old man with them was like their grandpa or something and they were caring for him but they all had fake names so nobody knew who it was And, like, people were searching for Hubbard all over the place. Like, the government, the media, everybody wanted to know where he was. Sure. Um, But he did a remarkable job of hiding out. Um, And then around January 17th, 1986, he suffered a stroke uh, and died a week later at the age of 74. Hmm. And I think it was one of the neighbors or something uh, was, like, super confused because, like, nobody really went to this house until the night of January 24th when he just saw like a caravan of cars going up to the mansion or whatever. Right. And then I think sometime after that, it became public knowledge that, holy shit, that was L. Ron Hubbard there this whole time. That's nuts. Like you're just hanging out. That's like, uh, there. that's a rom-com for you. Is the, the, <laughs> you, Like you don't, the new neighbor, it's L. Ron Hubbard. My neighbor, L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> And it's and but it's really about the two Sea Org messengers who have fallen in love, but they can't act on it because that would go against they because she can't blow Sea Org, you know, and she she cannot blow Sea Org, and, uh, and 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 their neighbors just like spying on them trying to have a love tryst, but and, you know, but then old man Hubbard is always there watching, <laughs> being creepy and gross and old and shit. So yeah, there you, go, so, Benny. you can have that. I, I think it's um, it's time for a tie tie the Bible guy rant. You have a lot of feelings about Scientology. I now also do. I didn't really know you, anything yeah, about them you, before. Do you see why I came in so hot? Like, well, we I don't know. If your problems are exactly the same as mine, but I'm just like, how are these people? Because like they tried to prevent this book from being published. Like they. Their amount of like brainwashing and censorship is absolutely unfathomable to me. Sure. And like their complete denial of facts. Like there yeah. was one dude, and I'm forgetting his name, but he was like kind of instrumental to getting some of these records. He was like a fan of of Scientology and L. Ron Hubbard and like wanted to put together some biography about it for the organization. And he noticed discrepancies in the records. And when he tried to clear them up, like thinking like oh this must be a mistake not like lies the organization pounced on him yeah and and, uh there's there's the whole documentary with uh gosh dang it what is her name i know that i brought it up last time Um, are you talking about the hbo one or maybe Mm, yeah you did bring up that uh scientology in the aftermath was the documentary um where she it's it's uh, Leah Ramini, um, and and she just goes deep 
it's like 37 episodes of her just going and talking to people who have come out of Scientology. And you've got people who were high in Sea Org doing some crazy shit who, you know, like they come forward and talk about stuff. And that's that's where I get really upset where I, I watch this show and I watch uh, these people who have come forward and, and they're still afraid to come forward. They're dealing with this church that that is out to get them and uh, the, the documentary people, the, the cast and crew of this documentary, they start getting uh, harassed and followed by uh, church members. And um, I think it's, it's absolutely terrifying that there's almost no limit to what the church will do to make sure that its name is clear. But let's good word choice. (laughs) Let's talk about, yeah, nice. Let's talk about L. Ron Hubbard. Let's not talk about Scientology here for a minute. Let's talk about L. Ron Hubbard as as an author. Because I think sometimes on our show we forget that we're talking about authors. Uh, <laughs> and we start just talking about very terrible people. Um, because they generally turn into very terrible people. Or at least that's the more interesting thing to talk about, right? The gossip, the, the stuff. But The hot goss. L. Ron Hubbard was a very good writer and he wrote good sci-fi he wrote good adventure and western stories were they great? no they were good they were good enough to make him one of the most predominant writers of his era to make someone like Isaac Asimov nervous to meet him Um, and Isaac Asimov is one of the most confident motherfuckers I've ever read about yeah, he beat J.R. Tolkien for some award. Yeah, and that guy was nervous to meet Hubbard. Um, I read uh, The Final Blackout by Hubbard, and there was a moment while reading this story. It's it, in, When I, I listened to it, I read it, but I was it was an audiobook. It was about three hours long total. It's not a very long story. But there are ideas in it that are so profound and interesting that it's it's hard to say he's a kook, that he's insane. Uh, he is a smart man uh, who had some very interesting ideas. And I think before he really turned himself into the insane prophet that he became, he had the ability to become an author that would have been absolutely untouchable um in in regards of telling good stories i wanted to listen to battlefield earth battleground earth um but the abridged version of that book was like 28 hours long that's the abridged like that's they need to abridge that a little further i think yeah the longest book i've ever read was um was uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell and that was like that was like 26 no that was like 33 32 hours long and and the abridged version of Battleground Earth was like 34 32 somewhere around there it was just wow. as long so I was like nah I'm good <laughs> I don't I don't need to dive into Hubbard that much uh, I already bought his damn biography I don't need to buy another <laughs> person and, and yeah it's insane so 
uh, I would say I I highly recommend reading Final Blackout if you're looking at starting to write shorter novels novellas novellas yeah. um it's a it's a it's a good structure for how stories should work um in it you can see that he regards men who are men of action and intellect as the absolute and um he's takes a weird stance on communism um where he he does outright say it's bad but then also in effect sets up his own version of communism it's kind of interesting um, Are you calling L. Ron Hubbard a hypocrite? No, I would never do that. <laughs> uh, so, Just checking. Yeah. So as a writer, I can respect his writing. Um, and, and you know, he did it because he, he liked to write and he did it because he needed to make a buck and he, he knew how to make that happen, right? Um, and it's it's the fact that his stories his ability to come up with stories and characters and intrigue. That's the, that's the big one. The fact that he could create intrigue, it bled off of the pages and into real life. And he created situation after situation where he was the hero because he needed to be the hero. Um, and it's, at the expense of so many other people's lives, their livelihood, their money, their children, um, their sake of security. All of these things were stripped and taken from people because L. Ron Hubbard had to be the hero of whatever story he was writing. And I think that's what infuriates me the most is that People can be duped into believing this maniac and he gets away with it. You know, it, it, it just, it, that's what infuriates me the most. I think, um, at the end of the day, there are hundreds, thousands of people that regard him as a Messiah and all he did was hurt people. It pisses me off. It really does. I think uh, yours is a sort of deeper anger with Hubbard than mine. Yeah. Because I... <laughs> I'm tired of he, fucking all these chicks. <laughs> he's attacking... it. No, I mean, I'm tired of them being psychopaths and, like, obscuring information and getting revenge on people who are just doing the right thing. Yeah. Uh, but no, like, he kind of attacks some of the fundamental things that you believe in. Like, he's taking advantage of people's willingness to believe. Yeah. He's awful. Yeah, I agree completely. <laughs> <laughs> no argument from me at all. Uh, oh, well. So, yeah. That's L. Ron Hubbard. If you want to read a couple of good Pulp fictiony stories, go check out his earlier work. Um, don't, don't buy Dianetics. It's a bunch of gobbledygook. You're not going to want to read it. Uh, and if you want a really long story to read you could try battlefield earth battleground earth i need to look it up because i keep saying it and i'm not sure i thought i knew what it was called and now that you've said both i'm very confused and not at all certain battlefield earth yes it's battlefield earth perfect um yeah 
Maybe go read that. That's a horrible movie. (laughs) And when you're done with that, uh, stay tuned for our next episode in one week where we issue a not at all forced apology for everything that we've said about Scientology and L. Ron Hubbard. Here's the deal. If I have to come out with a goddamn apology to the goddamn Scientology (laughs) people, it's all fake. None of it's real. And it's all because they've got some bullshit on me and they're going to steal my wife or something if I don't apologize to them. All right. So I'm gonna they're going to kidnap of- Becca and take her to Cuba and you're exactly. going to have to apologize. The Scientologists, if I come out with an apology, the Scientologists have gotten to me. Just know it's fake and they're pushing me to do it. That's the end of story. I'm getting ahead of that right now. <laughs> good, good. I, I like say, that. When I say in that, that oh that thing I said before was a joke and it's not real that's not real this is <laughs> <laughs> we should come up with like a code word or something and like disperse it to all of our listeners so that we can drop that in the forced apology so they know that we're being like we have a gun held to our heads or something uh we yeah, can't w- say it on the podcast title oh. or else the Scientologists will know but if you, you know. become if you become a patron, we'll we'll give you a secret word. <laughs> Just in case the Scientologists get to you. So yeah, that's that's our deal. Um I don't assuming that we don't have to make our next episode an apology to the uh, Church of Scientology, we still have to figure out what our next episode is. So Tyler and I will discuss after the show. Yeah, we haven't really figured that out, have we? We're so off schedule. Well, that and I'm real tired of being in in the mid-1900s, man. I I think we've talked about this era a bit much. (laughs) I'm ready to move on to like ancient Egypt or something. Ah oh, shit! It's summer, Tyler. I don't. I don't want to read Mesopotamian Mesopotamian texts. God, I can't even say it. That would be so fun. What are you talking about? <laughs> Fine, we'll read some some more Nicholas Sparks. Perfect. Yeah, no, that's not happening. So, uh, Tyler, where can yeah. the the people find us? Well, there's a lot of places you can find us, Anna, and listeners. <laughs> Mostly on uh, on our website is where I, where you can go and see like all the stuff that we've posted and get to all of our other episodes and shit. Uh, that's at uh, lewisandlovecraft.com. You can go to Facebook and check out our page there, facebook.com slash lewisandlovecraft. Um, there's also a group where um, our number one patron Devani posts uh, memes and everybody else laughs at them and that's that's pretty much the entirety of that relationship we love it we think it's great thank you Devani um, you can go to our Instagram at Lewis and Lovecraft where we randomly post pictures sometimes once every couple of weeks to try and entice other people to listen to our show you can uh, talk to us there that's always fun and most of all you can go to Gmail. And you can, or you can go to your email and email us at lewisandlovecraft at gmail.com. Uh, we want to hear your stories, your reviews of books. We really want that. I really want to start reading other people's reviews of books, ones that we've read, ones that we haven't read. We want to hear your thoughts on people that we've talked about. Unless you're a Scientologist trying to commit, make us say an apology, we want to hear what your thoughts are on things. I mean, if you're a Scientologist and want to write in, Feel free to do so. Just know that we might read your email on air and and laugh about it. So, yes, you've been warned. 
Also, I'm going to try and convert you to, you know, being a good person. But also, <laughs> uh, if you have flash whoa. fiction. What's that? I just said, whoa, convert them to being a good person. Yeah. Uh, and then also flash fiction. If you have short stories that you want us to read on our show, we will do that. Um, it's like, it's something that I've been begging for, for years, literal years now. Um, you can just email us those stories at lewisandlovecraft at gmail.com. Thanks as always to Jake Basson for our awesome intro music. You can find him at soundcloud.com slash Jake Basson. He has all sorts of music across genres, so definitely give him a listen. Uh, yeah, and don't forget to subscribe to our show. Uh, you can do that on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also go to um, places like Podchaser and subscribe there directly. And hey, if you're watching this, it means that you're on YouTube and you're watching us there. So maybe subscribe to us there because I think this is something that we're going to just start doing. We're going to have you know our cameras here, so we might as well use them and and uh, have a video podcast kind of. Which we never really explained that. Uh, that's because I moved. I like ditched Tyler. Uh, but we decided we were still going to make this podcast thing work. So that's why we are no longer in studio together. Yeah, she decided that me trying to convert her to being one of my messengers just wasn't working out. <laughs> I was like, I need some space, so <laughs> she still want to move talk states. About books. She just doesn't want to be around. Um, I just Anna, don't want to hold my an ashtray out for your cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> it was one time. Uh, <laughs> uh, what's uh, what's something else that they can do on those on those sites other than subscribe, Hannah? Uh, well, if you're on apple Podcasts, you can rate and review us we would love that or also pod chaser that's a good one yeah we, we want them stars uh you can also go to patreon and support us there um we have a few different tiers we have i think three patrons at this point am i wrong am i right i don't know i'm gonna have to look that up um it might just be two our two favorite people in the world um who uh gage was just texting me uh, a few minutes ago because he had just listened to the um, episode where I talked about buckets of cum. That was, was the last one, wasn't it? Yeah, and he was laughing his ass off. So, uh, <laughs> well, we, if you're um, a patron, the... we'll throw things in there for you like that. <laughs> Part one uh, was a very popular episode uh, when I was talking with Brianna Fenty, one of our longtime friends of the show. She was like, when is part two coming out? Or I think maybe she didn't even realize there was going to be a part two. But once yeah. I mentioned it, she was like, oh, my God, I can't wait. Yeah. And Hannah, what's the best way that people can support us? <sighs> By recruiting more people to our cult, of to course. The game. Say it. Uh, to the ghoul gang. Yeah, to the ghoul gang. <sighs> we need you to go out and spread the word. Um, knock on doors. Leave yeah. pamphlets for people. Kick people off of the cruise ship that you're on. Yes. In name of the ghoul gang. Whatever it takes. You know, we are under attack and we need you to Blow help the us. sea org. Come to the ghoul gang. <laughs> if, you're, if you're an ex- uh, Scientologist, the ghoul gang opens its arms to you. <laughs> we do. We'll be yeah. way less crazy, we promise. <laughs> and with that, we say goodbye, ghoul gang. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>